Hello, and welcome to Asia in Depth. I'm Michelle Fleur Cruz. Over the past several years, Hollywood finally seems to be answering the loud calls for greater diversity on screen and behind the camera. Films including Roma, Black Panther, and Parasite have drawn strong sales and rave reviews. Television shows such as Atlanta and Fresh Off the Boat have amplified actors and stories that have been long ignored. And just this month, actress and performer Aquafina made history at the Golden Globes, becoming the first Asian American to win Best Film Actress for her performance in the film The Farewell. Of course, things are far from perfect. As the critical response to the 2020 Oscar nominations has shown, the gaps remain, particularly when it comes to the representation and recognition of women and people of color in Hollywood-backed projects. Still, the shifting tide can't be ignored, and the changes are the result of a decades-long effort by people like Janet Yang and Daniel Day Kim. Yang is a film producer and currently a governor-at-large of the Academy of Motion Pictures. She was the executive producer of the acclaimed 1993 movie, The Joy Luck Club, one of the earliest studio-backed movies in Hollywood that featured Asian leads. Daniel Day Kim is an actor and producer who got his big break playing the character Jin on the television show Lost. He also made headlines when he took a stand for pay equity, after learning he was making less than his white castmates on the CBS reboot of Hawaii Five-O. In this episode, Kim and Yang discuss their work promoting fresh storytelling with diversity at its center, not only for Asians and Asian Americans, but for women, people with disabilities, and others. They spoke at Asia Society's Media and Entertainment Summit in Los Angeles. So you have very extreme roles in your life. Tell me how that works. How did you get into producing? You were doing so great as an actor, and you continue to, but you decided to take on this whole other Megilla in your life. And you know, believe me, I know what that's like. I just wasn't busy enough. I needed more to do, I I'm think. I'm sure. Uh, no, it started uh, when I was working as an actor on Hawaii Five-0, and we were renegotiating contracts. And um, I knew that I'd wanted to produce at some point, um, but... Um, as many of you in this audience know, you, it's easy just to call yourself a producer. Anyone can do it. Um, no but, barriers to entry whatsoever. <laughs> it's true. Uh, the barriers to success, however. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, I wanted to have some infrastructure behind me. And so uh, to get set up uh, at CBS Studios uh, with uh, that infrastructure was really important. And uh, they were kind enough to allow me to do that. So uh, my first producing deal was at CBS. Uh-huh. So, and what did you produce under that deal, if I may ask? If well, uh, <laughs> often those deals don't actually produce anything, but they're good to have. Yeah, the first project that we ever brought to them uh, was actually The Good Doctor. Um, and that was back in, I want to say, 2014 or 2015. Uh, and we developed it with a writer that you may all know, uh, a woman named Adele Lim. And, uh, of and Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. And so that was actually one of the first projects my company ever produced. It didn't end up on the air at CBS, but it was really uh, a rewarding experience to kind of cut my teeth there and uh, learn about the ins and outs of TV producing. And now it's a hit show on ABC and CBS is crying. Uh, I don't know if they're crying, but, uh, you know, ABC is very happy. Yes. <laughs> uh, they're they're quite, quietly crying. They don't like to admit it. No, it's, uh, it's, it's nice. And, you know, kind of tying into the theme of the summit here, it's nice to, that one of the first successes for my company was actually a show that originated in Asia. Uh, and it kind of speaks to the currency and the agency now of, of projects that, uh, that, that come from places like Korea, China, Japan, and now, um, as I'm sure many of you know, 
um, it's regular business practice to go to Asia to, to look uh, for IP. Is that something you very intentionally want to do, is finding IP in Korea and other parts of Asia? Well, I knew I had a specific relationship to Korea, and I knew that they were producing really quality content for a long time. So it seemed to me just a matter of time before uh, properties started crossing over. There were also properties from Israel that, and, and England that had you know, kind of been made into American TV shows, so why not Korea? I don't think anyone would argue with the quality of the content there. Uh, it was just a, a matter of finding the, the right project to bring over. I think, if anything, people are realizing that Korea is a hotbed of talent. And uh, there's, I have to just mention, there's an amazing book I'm reading about Korean culture and how it really was a top-down effort. The government decided that they were going to create culture and export it and has done so so successfully with K-pop and K-drama and whatnot. So were you aware of, because at the time you picked up The Good Doctor, maybe it wasn't quite as, as well known that there was so much content to be mined. I think you were one of the first. I can't think of, I know other movies have been adapted, but I, can't, I don't know of any other TV shows that was perhaps one of the first. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it was one of the first yeah. and certainly um, the most successful of all of the attempts. Uh, and, you know, uh, you know this business well enough, Janet, to know that you can never guarantee success. So Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> maybe you can because you're a pro. But, uh, Hardly. But it's one of those things where um, you take uh, educated guesses. Um, and uh, there was a lot to this particular property that I thought would, would transfer well to the States and actually worldwide. Um, the Good Doctor has since been remade in Japan as well. And I, I'm told that there is a, a, a Thai production in development. So, um, you know, there are certain things that uh, are franchisable, so to speak, or communicate to and audiences around the world. What did you see in that show? Because just earlier I was interviewing uh, Wei Zhang of Alibaba Pictures, and she very specifically talked about why movies as diverse as, say, A Dog's Life, A Capernaum, or A Green Book were able to get to the Chinese audience, because they really pulled on people's heartstrings, and they talked about loneliness and, you know, want a sense of belonging. What was it about The Good Doctor that made you think it would translate well? Oh, there are a number of things. I think, um, number one, you know, there's, there are very few genres that are more tried and true than the medical genre in, in the U.S. I mean, ever since television was a thing, you had, like, Dr. Kildare and uh, ER and Chicago Hope and, you know, now Chicago Med. You know, every, Grey's Anatomy, of course, House. Uh, so... Um, you know, that was, that was something that I knew would not be new to American viewers. But couple in, kind of inside that genre that everyone knew was a little twist on it, and that was to have uh, someone living with autism at its center. And, um, you know, I didn't realize that how much autism affected uh, Koreans. But uh, there was, uh, there's, a, there's a staggering mm. statistic about the number of Korean young boys with autism. Mm. And so, um, you know, and I know several people in my life who have been touched by autism in one way or another. And so it felt like the right time to do something like that. And for me, I've always wanted to try and develop shows that have um, heart and a sense of uh, positivity uh, and something in, in terms of what we contribute to the culture. And so it was, a num it was all of those things. And, of course, finding the right writer, uh, David Shore, uh, who was an Emmy-winning uh, writer from House, uh, was uh, an essential ingredient as well.
and, and the cast, all of those things, you know, mm. all of that kind of alchemy that comes together to, to make a, a success, mm. if you're lucky. But it's damn hard to not just get a show on the air, but then have it last. What do you think were the reasons for the success of this show? I think, you know, in television, anytime you have a show that lasts, it's because people fall in love with the characters and the writing, you know, because... Uh, there isn't that much that differentiates one show from another. Uh, and, uh, but I, I think we have some extraordinary performances led by Freddie Highmore. Uh, and uh, I, think, I think the writing is really strong. Um, and I think the, idea that, the ideas that we had right at the start still come through very strongly. And that is the idea that you can achieve despite your obstacles. Um, you can have a, a, a group of people from very disparate backgrounds coming together for a common cause. These are all ideas that... I'm happy to espouse, and I think, frankly, we could use a little bit more of. Mm. So you sometimes take a role in that show. I did. I played a real jerk. <laughs> <laughs> that um, wasn't hard to do. No. Yeah, no, no. My, my wife says typecasting, <laughs> but, uh, but it was but fun. How, how do you balance the two? I mean, do you feel any conflict doing straddling the screen being in front of and behind and do they see you differently because you are a producer on it? Uh, you know, I think they saw me a little bit differently because I was a producer on it and I actually had to be aware of that role when I was acting on it, you know, um, acting on the show. Uh, it was really nice for me to, to act on a show where I knew it wasn't about me and mm-hmm. um, it was really to enable and, and lift up the people on the show. You know, I think Freddie Highmore does such an extraordinary job and the fact that I could be a foil for him or an antagonist to him to actually showcase how, how talented he really is uh, was a pleasure. I was happy to do it, and I was happy to, you know, to think uh, on a team level. Mm. We're going to take a quick break right here to talk about the Sundance Film Festival at the end of the month. For the second year, Asia Society will be in Park City, Utah, hosting three panels honoring Asian filmmakers and talent as part of the festival's programming. If you've been enjoying this podcast discussion, you'll want to check it out. The programs will take place at the Kimball Arts Center on Saturday, January 25th from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m., with panelists including Janet Yang and Daniel Day Kim, as well as other Hollywood producers, actors, directors, and more. You won't want to miss it. And if you can't make it, you'll be able to catch up on our programming content by checking out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash asiasociety. Now, back to Daniel Day Kim and Janet Yang. So you've taken on so many different roles. I mean, in Lost, you were someone that we barely heard speak in English. Right. And, you know, mm. so this has been a fascinating journey. I want you to talk a little bit about some of the key roles that you've had over the decades and what they meant for you and how you've grown from each. You know, I really feel like uh, I've learned from every role that I've taken. Um, Lost, of course, was the one that put me on the map, so to speak. Um, and uh, there were so many challenges with that role uh, that it really taught me a lot about how to navigate a career afterwards. And there were also, like, incredible rewards uh, associated with that role. Uh, I'm so grateful to, to have been a part of it. You know, it was such really, I think, elegant storytelling. I think to this day it affects how shows are cast mm. and how stories are told. Um, we were the first bingeable show before binging was a thing. Mm. Uh, and, you know, people would get the DVDs and, and sit and watch them for days. And, and we were around right as podcasts were happening. And so we were the first show that people were podcasting about. And um, back then there were forums um, instead of Twitter. And so people were talking about our show that way. 
but if you look at the way shows are now structured with flashbacks and flash forwards and, and the storytelling narrative, um, I, I, credit, I credit loss with having a lot to do with how that's done now. There was something so captivating and mysterious about your character. There was so much attention on your character precisely because people were always wondering what you were. How, what, did you have a good idea? And it changed over time. Did you have a strong sense of what you wanted to convey through that character? Uh, yes, I really did. And I was, I was really concerned about it in the beginning mm. because I didn't know where the character was going. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always said that my worst nightmare would have been had the show been canceled after the, oh. the pilot. Oh, right. <laughs> you didn't get to develop the character exactly. further. Because, you know, for those of you who saw Lost in the first episode, my character wasn't very likable and some would argue stereotypical. Um, but... Uh, you know, one of the first things I did when we were shooting the pilot was to sit down with uh, Damon Lindelof and J.J. Abrams and ask, him, ask them what they had in mind for the character because mm. if it stayed like this, we would have a problem. Mm. Um, but they assured me that to stay with it and that things were going to change and that what you see is not necessarily what you get. And sure enough, um, you know, all the characters on Lost went through a lot of development and growth but I would argue that my character may have gone through the most, most. Uh, from beginning to end. Right. And that's just so satisfying as an actor to play. And it's one of the things that TV provides that no other medium can provide. Mm-hmm. The idea of living with a character, not just for two hours or you know, a month in a play, but over a span of years. And to watch uh, how, how that, that character can grow and change and develop. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of like... Um, living with a, a, a another a family human. member. Yeah, or... it, yeah, it really is. So, and TV is structured like life. You know, you shoot, you shoot your episodes, you don't know where you're going to end up, but you live your, your life day to day like we do right now. You know, we wake up with a sense of who we are and, and we hope the day goes well. And, you know, over the course of time, we change. Were you able to influence the, the development of your character? I think the writers actually were really good about... Uh, um, kind of seeing what we brought as actors mm-hmm. and then writing to those strengths. Mm-hmm. So um, I, think, I think there was some influence there, um, but I also think the writers were really talented mm-hmm. and just, just uh, finding ways of deepening each of our characters, I think, I think they did for all of us. Mm-hmm. So how about the other show that you were on for quite some time, Hawaii Five-0? Yeah, no, I mean, I... that uh, experience like? Yeah, I mean, I think that was, you know, and, uh, you know, a mixed experience. But, you know, one of the, some of the positives were to, to highlight a show set in Hawaii, you know, and to, to have Asian faces on screen week after week. Um, you know, we hired probably more Asian guest stars than, than any other TV show. Um, and I think that's a, that's a real positive. Um, and to kind of showcase Hawaii beyond just uh, palm trees is, is, is always nice. Now, obviously, we don't have as much crime as we, and nuclear weapons going off in Hawaii as Hawaii Five-0 kind of uh, would have you believe. But uh, uh, there, there's a lot of positive uh, from the portrayal of uh, these characters and, and the setting. I do have to say that uh, the community in general, and by that I mean the Asian community in particular, but I think many communities are very grateful that you did bring up the issue, however, of pay equity. It was important, I think, for people to hear that there is imbalance still in our industry and that we are really at a critical turning point for uh, a certain kind of awakening. I think we remain at that turning point. You know, given what's going on in the country politically, it's certainly not 
um, a question that's been answered. You know, I remember once uh, when President Obama was still in office, a reporter asked me whether we felt like we were in a post-racial society. And that was in 2014 or 2015. Wow, the pendulum does swing, as we know. (laughs) I think back to that interview all the time when I consider what's happened in the years since then. And uh, I I would almost dare that reporter to ask that question again. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's too tempting to go down that road and then the rest of the afternoon would be... Yeah, no, let's not, let's not depress everybody. But, <laughs> but, but there's so much good news, actually, on, on the horizon for Asians who are in front of the camera or behind the camera, I feel, because of so many reasons. In my view, it's a lot to do with the streamers. It's a lot to do with uh, social media. And it's a lot to do with the recognition that Asian markets are very significant. China, obviously, India, obviously, but Korea and others as well. How has this changed? And we were joking about it. There's sort of the pre-CRA and post-CRA eras that we're living in, meaning crazy rich Asians. How has your life changed? Well, I mean, you look at the number of people in this room today. Uh, I, I think, you know, that's evidence that there's, there's, it's, it's a much more relevant topic. Uh, and people are interested from outside the Asian American community. Whereas, you know, in the past, it, I feel like we've been kind of in an echo chamber where we're speaking to our own community, but now there's a lot more outreach, there's a lot more agency. I mean, Janet, you know, I, I've been around for a while, but, and you're one of the OGs. You, know, you, were, you were fighting this fight before anyone else was listening. So, um, you know, the fact that we can sit up here on a stage today and, and talk about all the great new opportunities and, and how uh, the world of entertainment is expanding and how we can straddle the screen, that's, uh, that's all, you know, new territory. That's a brave new world. And the fact that we can uh, be here to kind of uh, espouse it, to further it, that's a, that's a real privilege. And to be able to say we want to hire Asian writers and directors and work with Asian producers, we have Asian journalists, you know, it's, it's a, it has become a whole community that's been galvanized. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely spectacular. What do you look for? You have already accomplished so much. What do you look forward to in the future? I feel like there's so much more to do, honestly. Okay. Uh, you know, I feel like... Breathlessly. Yeah, no, I, I, feel, I feel like the door is opening now, but now what are we going to do when we get inside? You know, that, that's, that's where the real work begins. It's, a, it's one thing to get the opportunity. It's another thing to maximize those opportunities. And um, one thing that I'm always wary of is being considered someone who's looking for charity. You know, like, mm. you know, the liberal snowflakes who, who are always crying about diversity. You know, to me, I'm sorry, I get a little angry about that. But uh, I, will say, I will say that, you know, We've been waiting for these opportunities for a long time. You know, people like us have been in the business for decades, not years. And, and so, you know, give us a shot and we'll show you what we can do. Thank you for listening to Asia In Depth. You can now listen to the podcast on Spotify, in addition to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And as always, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Asia Society. I'm Michelle Fleurcruz. See you next time.